thank for that as we prep to teach and lead and pray together. It opened up my schedule as I prepared for my sermon uh, this week, so I'm very thankful for uh, all of you have stepped up to serve this week and, and help out as people are sick and recovering. So be in prayer for them. Uh, but it is a joy to be gathering together. What a beautiful day for us to gather and worship our God. Uh, just after Easter, uh, the Easter weekend, we now come together uh, to continue on through the Gospel of John. Peace. What do you think of when I say the word peace? You might think of the hand sign where you say peace. Some people have used the word peace to say goodbye, peace out. But what comes to your mind when you hear the word peace? Is it good health, contentment, or well-being? Some try to find peace by relocating, going away, trying to just get away from everybody else. I think a lot of people don't find peace when they're around other people, and so they try to get away. Uh, other people try to empty themselves completely. As long as I just get rid of all the bad stuff, I'll be at peace. Some try to fill themselves up with everything that they want. Maybe peace is financial security or relationships and intimacy. Some seek emotional stability. So long as I'm happy, I'm at peace. I'm content. Some just try to avoid all kind of disagreement and conflict and just try to ignore all the bad stuff, and they will say they're at peace. The world tries to make peace really to be this thing of having the things the way that we want it and being satisfied in oneself, being satisfied in ourselves. Our idea of peace is essentially playing God and building a selfish kingdom of our own. We're really just looking for contentment and comfortability, and we call it peace. But if it's rooted in these worldly things, it's very fickle, and it fades quickly. But what is peace? What does the Bible actually say peace is? In John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And so Jesus is offering us a peace that is different than the world says peace is. So what is this peace? The Greek word for peace is irini, which actually comes to an understanding of being joined together, being made whole. It's this oneness and this wholeness, this completeness that we have, and it leads to this restfulness. We feel complete and we feel whole. And so it begs the question, what is our peace resting in? Because if it's resting in these worldly things, if it's resting in just getting away and avoiding all possible difficulties in this world, then we're never going to find peace. Because there is a God who's created all things, whom we have sinned against, who we are unrighteous towards, and we do not have peace with him on our own. Jesus is the one who brings us peace. Our peace should not be resting in self, but in him. So if you've come here broken or worn down or not at peace, if you're feeling weighted and empty, because I know that living life here on earth is not easy. And Jesus has told us that it's not going to be easy if we're to follow him. But if you're feeling that way this morning, take heart and hope that Jesus offers peace as we look to John, uh, the Gospel of John in, verse, in chapter 20, verses 19 to 31, as he comes to his disciples. 
and proclaims peace to them. Jesus offers something greater than any of these things that the world offers us. He offers himself and our peace with God restored through faith in him. That is what our peace rests in. And so as we look to John uh, chapter 20, I first want to read Philippians 4, 6. As we come into a time of prayer, as we come and approach God's word together, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so let us pray as we come to God's word this morning. Holy God, may we stand in awe of you. God, what a joy it is to be with your people this morning. God, we have come from many different walks this week, difficulties, sickness, and health. God, situations that seem too big for us to handle. God, may these things point us to you. God, may we find rest this morning as we come to your word. God, as we bask in your glory, in the wonder of who you are. God, in the mystery of you and in the joy and hope and peace that is found in you in Christ. God, as we read from your word this morning, may we just sense your power at work. God, your word is truth, and may we see it rightly as that. God, help us to align ourselves with you and not try to change you for ourselves. Lord, grant us a hunger for you. Guide us in the wisdom and understanding of your word this morning. God, we cannot understand deeply the meaning of this text apart from your spirit at work in us. And so, God, increase our love for you and for one another and help us to apply this passage to our lives today that we would glorify you as we seek to be obedient followers in Christ. And God, help me to proclaim your word with boldness and with gentleness. God, as your spirit works through me, God, may you challenge our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let us read this morning from John, for chapter 20, starting in verse 19, as Jesus appears to the disciples. This is the same day that he's approached Mary Magdalene and has shown himself to her. In that evening, Jesus approaches his disciples. It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As a father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. And see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. So it was the evening of that day when Jesus appeared to Mary. He then comes to his disciples. The death, of, the death of him is still very fresh in the minds of his followers. The disciples were gathering likely because they were getting word of Jesus appearing to people. That he is risen. That he's not dead. However, out of fear, the doors were locked. Fear of the Jews, the religious leaders who hated Jesus and Everyone who had anything to do with him, who were associated with his teaching and his mission, that he was the Son of God. The Jews who had just had their teacher crucified. And so we can look down upon the disciples, but humanly this fear is understandable. If Jesus is dead, what hope do they have facing death themselves? What peace do they have? Everything they thought they knew and understood went with Jesus into the tomb. And with rumors getting around of Jesus' body being stolen by the disciples, they probably thought it's not too long before they get killed as well. With a dead Savior, a dead Messiah, there is no peace. Right? When your champion loses, it strikes pretty hard. We've seen that even with David and Goliath. When David killed Goliath, the Philistines fled because Goliath was their champion. He was their hero. He was the one who was going to lead them into victory. And when he fell, the Philistines fled. When your hero loses, it's crushing. We see this in movies as well. If you're a Marvel's fan, in Avengers Infinity War, all the heroes at the end of that, well, half of them, are dead. And there is no hope. In the Chronicles of Narnia, when Aslan is dead and the kids have to go to war against the White Witch, there's not a lot of hope, right? Jesus could have overcome everything. He always had an answer. As they were walking with him through these three years, he was wise and always made a way. He turned water to wine. He cast out demons. He healed the sick and lame. He calmed the sea. He walked on water. He multiplied fish and loaves. He even raised someone else from the dead. And so the disciples are dealing with his death and their own abandonment of him. They're fearful, and they're guilt-ridden, and they're in hiding. But even with the doors locked, even with the disciples in fear, even with this guilt-ridden heart that they have, Jesus comes to the deserters, their friends. He draws near to them. He stands before them. Our blessed Savior approaches those in fear and despair and in guilt and in shame. The text doesn't say how Jesus suddenly appeared before them, but regardless of how it happened, nevertheless, it was miraculous. Jesus is divin we can see Jesus' divinity as he can be where he wants. He can keep people from recognizing him. We see that even in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus as he talks with two of his disciples. He disappears right in front of them. Right? But Jesus comes and he stands before them and he says, Peace be with you. The first words that his disciples hear is, peace be with you. How striking that must have been to their hearts. 
as they're in hiding, as they're in guilt and shame, Jesus comes and says, peace be with you. What a comfort and hope that these words would be to the deserters who left Jesus. Jesus doesn't condemn them, but in compassion and love, he extends out peace to them. For Jesus accomplished peace on the cross. Luke 24, uh, the Gospel of Luke gives us a little more insight. Upon seeing Jesus, they were actually afraid. They thought he was a spirit. They weren't sure if he was the physical body risen. But Jesus comes and shows his hands and his side and his feet, and they recognize it to be Jesus. He invites them to come to him, to touch, to see that he is the true, physical, resurrected body. He is actually alive. And so in saying these words, peace be with you, there's actually founded proof. Jesus is alive now. He is risen. And as they touch these hands, the disciples probably don't even realize the significance of such wounds that would be proof to all who see that Jesus has in fact risen. That even now our king has these scars on his hands and they're a sign that our sins have been forgiven. That we have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Seeing the risen Savior, they are filled with gladness as they recognize their friend, as they recognize their teacher. Their fear and anxiety is washed away. They're filled with joy and gladness because Jesus has brought peace to them. So Jesus comes with this blessing of peace. Right? But why, why does he say peace? Did Jesus save the disciples from these enemies? The Jews who are trying to kill and torture them? Is this peace of Jesus, what is this peace of Jesus that he's talking about? Is it going to get rid of all these earthly troubles? Like I said before, this Greek word for, for peace, irini, it's this wholeness, this completeness, this rest. It's a peace that Jesus is talking about between us and God, being made whole and complete, having that peace and relationship with our Creator. By the grace of God leading us to faith in Jesus through his death and resurrection on the cross. That is the peace of the gospel that Jesus had now brought to his disciples and has come to us. We have peace now with God because what of what Jesus has accomplished. He died in our place. We've been talking about this this whole morning. We are sinful. We have sinned against God. The wages of sin is death. We're deserving of hell. We're on that road. We're on that pathway. We are to be in fear of God. For he is just and he is wrathful towards sin. We are deserving of that. And yet Jesus died in our place when we were enemies of him. When we abandoned, when we deserted, guilt-ridden and shame, some not even caring, he died in our place. He paid the price. He bore the wrath. He took on our sins. And he died, but he rose. And that is what gives us peace. In John 16, he says, I have said these things to you, Jesus says this, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so the peace that Jesus is offering isn't one that says, Come and follow me, and everything in this world is going to be okay. There's going to be no troubles, no sickness, no people angry at you, 
financial stability, relationships, perfectly fine. No, he's saying in this world you will have tribulation. You'll have persecution. People will hate you for following and believing in me. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We don't have to fear the world. We have peace with God. Like the psalmist in Psalm 4, we can say, In peace, in completeness, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the peace that Jesus has brought. This is the peace that Jesus is bringing to his disciples. And so what a comfort for us as we come to church, even this morning. Maybe you came to church and you had just had a fight with one of your parents or your siblings or your grandkids or maybe your spouse. Maybe just this past week, you avoided an opportunity to share the gospel out of fear of how someone might think about your faith and you following Jesus. Maybe this past week, you've looked at porn. Maybe you've been in gossip with others. Maybe you haven't controlled your anger well. Maybe above all, or maybe all of the above. Yet guilt-ridden as you are, Jesus calls you to come. He says, look, see these hands. See this scar on my side. I have paid the price. I have brought peace between you and God. This is why we gather together as a church is to remind each other of the peace that we have in Christ. Guilt-ridden as we may be, perhaps we denied Christ like Peter, and yet we can still come because it is finished. We can find our peace with God as we repent and believe and rest in Jesus. It's a peace that goes beyond situation and circumstance. If we lose everything, even our life, Jesus gives us peace. That's how strong this peace is. It's not fickle. It's not fleeting. It is eternal and persevering. Right? We see this peace played out throughout history. We see it in the disciples, even. Peter and the apostles, not too long after, in Acts 5, when the the religious leaders have called the apostles together. They beat them and they charge them not to speak about Jesus. And then they let them go. And when the apostles left the presence of the council, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Very different picture from what we've just read. Right? What's the difference? Jesus has brought them peace. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. These men who continue to proclaim this gospel because they believed and were filled with the peace that Jesus offers, and most of us, which were, uh, and most of which were killed for their faith by stabbings, stonings, beatings, beheadings, and crucifixion, and yet doing so with such a calmness and peace because they had been made right before God. Uh, as leaders, we've been going through a book uh, about deacons, and it talked about this one deacon called St. Lawrence of the early church in uh, 258 AD, a deacon who was getting burned alive for his faith. And humorously, he says, you can turn me over this on the side because it is done. 
as he continues to pray that Rome would be converted to Jesus. How can someone say with such humor as they're being burned alive and continue to pray for those who are burning him without a peace that goes beyond understanding? It's a peace that is preserved. It is a peace that perseveres. And so Jesus, as we continue to read on in verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, right? A double peace to them, reminding them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Right? Jesus is now connecting this peace to the sending of himself, to accomplish that peace. He's been sent by the Father, and now he's connecting it to the sending of his disciples in the Spirit. Go in the Spirit. Proclaim this peace. Bring this peace to the world. It's not just for you. It is for all who may believe. Jesus is sharing the mission with them once again, that this is for all that will believe, that it will be accomplished by the Spirit as he sends them in this peace, this peace that he leaves with them, this gospel of peace with God. Right? The disciples aren't supposed to just sit in this house and be joyful. And we see that they don't. Thank goodness that they don't, or we wouldn't be here. Right? This peace sends them out. It fills them with joy and hope as they're sent in the Spirit to go and proclaim this peace to all that would receive it. Jesus was the sent one. He was God incarnate, God become man, to perfectly obey and accomplish God's will that we could not do. Right? We cannot make ourselves righteous by our works. He has accomplished that for us on the cross. That's what we celebrated. That's what we remembered Good Friday and Easter. As Christians, we don't replace Christ. The disciples aren't replacing Christ. But we are commissioned to continue that mission that he has left with us as he sends his spirit to us to accomplish the salvation through the cross that he has done to go and proclaim that that Jesus is not giving the disciples this power to forgive but as they proclaim the gospel people will receive forgiveness if they come to Jesus in faith Jesus is the one who forgives he has the power to forgive and as people are convicted of their sin their unforgiven state before God their lack of peace with God their lack of relationship with God so as the Father has sent the Son to accomplish this peace, the Son sends us to proclaim that, that they can find peace with God through our evangelism of this gospel. And so Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father sends you, or has sent me, I send you. It reminds me of Ephesians 6, as the youth, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and we've been going through the armor of God, and it talks about the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We are to be ready with this gospel of peace to stand firm in it, but to also go and proclaim it. By declaring the gospel of peace, believers in Jesus as the Son of God who died and rose again for the glory of God and payment for forgiveness of sins, they would be forgiven to all who would believe. And so we as a church have been given this commission to go and make disciples of Jesus Christ by proclaiming this peace. But I pray that we first understand this peace that we have. 
right? It's not like the world. It's not the peace that the world offers us, but the peace that is found in Jesus Christ. Because how can we proclaim it if we haven't even taken it to heart ourselves? If someone looks at our lives, would they say, wow, the peace of God is really evident in you? Or would they see us complaining, constantly anxious, complain about the circumstances and situations that aren't going our way? Would they even see peace at all? Let us be agents of peace, not in the worldly sense, not this social gospel either of just giving people well-being and prosperity, but in the biblical Christ-centered sense that we can find peace with our holy creator who we have sinned against through faith in Jesus Christ. Let us be challenged by this peace to not just be complaining about our situations, but to seek to continue to proclaim the peace that comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. As we call people to faith and repentance, as we rest in that peace ourselves. And so Jesus has appeared to the disciples. He calls them to go and proclaim this peace. And as we continue on, we see that one of the disciples was not with them. Thomas, called the twin. We don't know who his twin was, but I guess he had one. He was not with them. We don't know why. The text does not say, but he was not with them. And it's good that he wasn't with them, because now we get to see this beautiful picture once again of our Lord and Savior giving peace to the doubter. It says, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus first came. So the disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. It's a pretty strong statement, Thomas. We've seen Thomas before, actually, in the Gospel of John. In John 11, verse 16, as Jesus is talking about going back to Judea, as he's heard about Lazarus being sick and dead, Thomas proclaims, let us also go that we may die with him. He's shown a bit of boldness and braveness and even trust in Jesus. But here we see his doubtfulness. Thomas did not believe his friends the disciples who had seen Jesus just earlier this evening. Perhaps he thought, as the disciples first did, that Jesus was just a spirit, that he hadn't actually physically appeared. He wanted and, in fact, demanded physical proof, or else he would not believe. He wanted to see for himself. However, this was the testimony of ten of his closest friends. If maybe one of my closest friends came and told me something, I'd be like, eh, especially if it's really like far-fetched. I'd hope I would trust them, but if it's really out there, I might not. But if 10 of my closest friends came and told me the same thing, it'd be hard not to trust them. And yet Thomas didn't. What reason would they have to lie? Why would they lie about something so fresh or they lie about Jesus being raised to the dead if he in fact wasn't. 
Still, though, Thomas did not believe. But I think it opens up to ourselves how much we can wrestle in our own doubts. I think if we're honest with ourselves, anyone who's put their faith in Christ has had doubts, has wrestled in doubt, has wondered, God, what are you doing? Are you really like this? Are you really the way that you have shown yourself to be in your word? Why are you bringing me through this difficult circumstance? We definitely have doubt in situations of despair and difficulty and suffering. And so we can see the humanity in Thomas as well. Right? He's just lost his close friend, his teacher. It's a good reminder to us to be praying for one another and reminding each other of the gospel. Why we need the church, we need one another. Let us be praying that God does not allow us to be so overcome in our doubts that we begin to question God and who he is. That we maybe say something so prideful like Thomas that I will never believe unless I have physical proof. I don't care what you all say. I need to see it for myself. Let us pray for one another that we do not fall into our doubts and regret later our lack of faith that is exposed. But let us walk with each other through these doubts and point each other to the gospel and the peace that we find in Jesus Christ. Because even in our doubts, we see a compassionate and gracious Savior. Right? Jesus comes to Thomas. As we continue on in verse 26, eight days later, he let Thomas sit in that doubt for a little bit, a full week. Thomas is wondering if Jesus really has risen or not. His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, the doors were still locked, the disciples were still questioning. They're still in a bit of fear. But Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. For a third time, they hear this phrase of peace. And he turns towards Thomas and says, Put your fingers here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. We see that even with this first appearance of the disciples, they're still afraid. The doors are locked. Thomas is with them. Jesus comes and stands before them and proclaims peace. He directs Thomas's attention to himself. And with compassion and patience, he calls Thomas and gives him the evidence that he asked for. Jesus desired for Thomas to believe. He shows Thomas the scars that identify Jesus as a slain and risen lamb, the God-man, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace. And Thomas proclaims what only one could that wells up in a heart so stricken with truth and love, my Lord and my God. Lord, the word kyrios, he to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has the power of deciding. Thomas has proclaimed, God, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord over me. You have the power to decide. You are the person to whom I belong to. You are indeed the risen lamb. And God, Theos, the supreme divinity, the creator and owner of all things. We see this amazing proclamation as Thomas proclaims, proclaims that Jesus is in fact God. From the very beginning of John, the word became flesh. But the word was with God and was God. Jesus 
is God. And Thomas proclaims that as he sees his risen Savior. Recognizing Jesus is his Lord and his God, his master and creator, the owner and sustainer, the bringer of true peace between himself and God. And he proclaims and worships Jesus. What a beautiful declaration that I pray each of us can exclaim with Thomas. My Lord and my God. This peace is not about us. It's not about self-sustaining. It's about glorifying God as he has saved us to himself, as he calls us to himself in faith, to proclaim that he is Lord, that he is God, and that he has saved us in Jesus Christ. That in the turmoil and the suffering and the questions and in the doubt, even aside from seeing the evidence that we would have faith and proclaim that Jesus is our Lord and our God. That we would take God at his word and that we would cry out with him as the father of the boy with an unclean spirit in Mark 9 says, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Help me in my doubts. I know you are Lord and God, and yet I am so easily doubtful. Help me to believe, Lord, that you give me true peace. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and have believed it was good that the first apostles had this physical evidence of belief. They truly had seen Jesus. They had the physical evidence of him risen. And they were sent and proclaimed the peace of this gospel. That Jesus died for our sins and he rose again. And he gives us peace with God. However, Jesus has specifically blessed those who have faith without first seeing. But by simply resting in the words and truths of God. Would we not have said that the disciples were so blessed to have actually seen Jesus, to have actually have seen him risen? And yet Jesus says the opposite. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Blessed. When God extends his benefits, his fortune position, for, uh, the believer getting a fortunate position from receiving God's provision and favor which he extends his grace and benefits towards. This happens and is often in line with obeying and believing. This blessing that comes from God as we rest in him solely by the faith that he gifts us with. Without seeing our risen Savior physically, yet believing him by his word. In 1 Peter Verses one, or chapter 1, verses 8 to 9, that says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Church, I pray that this is true for each of us. That though we have not seen him, we love him that we don't see him now, we believe and we rejoice for our Savior lives and he has brought us peace. So those who are yet to believe after Jesus' ascension will not be believing by seeing Jesus physically, but by his word, the truth of the gospel that we are called as well to go and proclaim in the Holy Spirit as he moves and opens eyes and hearts to believe that they too would find that peace. And so we come to the last 
two verses in the chapter, uh, chapter 20 of John. And John says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We've read this verse a few times as we've been going through John to remind us the purpose of all that we've been reading and all that we've been going through in this. John makes it very clear. I've written these things specifically that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you would have life in his name. We come to the end of the chapter where John says, I have given you sufficiently what you need to believe. I've given you Jesus, the Son of God, that we'd find life in his name, life in his love, life in his grace, life in his peace. So the question is, do you believe? We've come to the big question. You've heard the words of our God. Do you long for true peace? It's not found in a thing, but found in someone and that someone is Jesus, the Son of God, the Word of God, who became flesh, who walked among us, who perfectly lived out the law, yet died in our place as a slain lamb, paid the price for our sins and rose again. Do you desire that peace with him? True peace comes in knowing and proclaiming him as your Lord and your God. Believe and worship and find your peace in him. Even if you're an abandoner, even if you're a deserter, even if you're guilt-ridden, even if you're a doubter, Jesus says, come and find peace in me. I'll give you rest. I'll give you completeness and wholeness, regardless of the situations that we may face. And so we see that Jesus' death and resurrection was one that brought peace with God. Through faith in him, the Christ, the Son of God. And so let us rest in and let us, re- let us go in the Spirit and proclaim that peace. Right? Peace with God, made right with him, made whole in him. If we are really seeking peace with God, is our energy and is our attention focused on that? Do we take time to actually be in his word, to get to know him, to pray and align our will with his to go and proclaim that peace? Does it change how we live our life? Or are we idle in our faith? The burden of this world is heavy. Jesus didn't send us out on an easy mission, but he sent us out with himself. He sent us out with the Spirit. He sent us out with peace with God, the one who is in control of all things. Jesus calls us to him where his burden is light and he is gentle. And that is all the peace that we need, is to know him. A peace that surpasses all understanding, that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit in us to make clear the scriptures, to point us to Jesus, to declare the gospel, to pray and help one another as we all go out and share the good news of the gospel. It's to send us forward in evangelism. This event is one that should weekly reflect our gathering as a church as we preach the gospel to one another. We gather in Jesus' name, maybe anxious, maybe guilt-ridden, maybe broken, yet Jesus declares the gospel of peace through the Bible. 
in prayers and in songs, out of his word, applying the gospel to our souls and breathing the spirit upon us as we are sent out to proclaim the gospel every week, every Sunday. That's why coming to church, that's why coming to church even this morning is so important that we'd be sent out because we're going into a world that there's trouble. So is the peace of Jesus enough for you if you still lose everything else in this world? Do we see in Jesus that we have gained everything that we need? Does it change how we live? It should. And you can tell if someone is really living in this peace, in their thoughts, in their words, in their deeds, it's evident. We see it in the disciples, the change from fear and anxiety to peace and joy, even in the suffering. So church, let us come in prayer as we get sent out in this peace to go and proclaim that our Christ has risen, that he is alive, and he's the bringer of true peace with God. Let us pray. Oh, holy God, convict our hearts this morning. So easily, God, we fall into discontentment, emptiness, incompleteness. God, even when we can proclaim that we have you with us, God, help us to truly understand the peace that Jesus brings. God, that we are made whole, that we are made complete, that a relationship with you is made right. As he has died on the cross for our sins, as he rose again, as a price was paid, God, the work was finished, and he brings peace to us. And as he sends us out in his Holy Spirit to go and proclaim that peace, God, give us the strength. God, help our unbelief. God, that we would go in your power to proclaim the good news of the gospel. God, convict our hearts this morning as we come and continue to worship, proclaim you. God, help us to pray for one another. God, we need one another. You give us one another to work through each other. God, to bring you glory. So God, may you help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.